Philippians. So I encourage you to open your copy of God's Word there. Uh, we started going through this book verse by verse. We got uh, into chapter 2 and December hit us and we stopped for some different uh, sermons and uh, now we're back. So this morning, Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. Thinking about uh, this uh, passage and, and knowing it came on the first Sunday of the year, you know, a lot of times you're expecting the preacher to give you some sort of resolution for the, for the new year. Well, this text provides that, so I, I didn't need to go anywhere else. But uh, <clears throat> it was interesting, uh, I don't watch CBS News that often, but I saw a little episode where they uh, are trying to do positive news and not just tell the bad stuff, you know, all the time. Well, the first week of December, they said, this is our CBS poll, our survey of New Year's resolutions. And I thought, well, that's interesting. They're trying to, you know, promote some good stuff. Um, it was interesting in the summary of their poll that 50, now not everybody makes a New Year's resolution. and there's, That's fine. But of the people who make a New Year's resolution, 59% said they wanted to pray more or attend religious services more. So, well, that's, that's interesting that they, that's what they said to the people, CBS people that were doing the survey. Now, when they listed the top ten resolutions, it was a little bit different. This is what they were. Top ten was what you would expect. Health. I want to improve my health, 94%. I want to exercise more, 88%. I want to spend more time with my loved ones, 84%. I want a better diet, 81%. I want to acquire some new skill or hobby, 73%. And I want to quit bad habits, 70%. And it goes everywhere from there. As I looked at the top six, I said, there's nothing distinctively Christian about any of those. When they got down to making the resolution, they didn't pray more. And they didn't attend services more. They didn't do anything that was distinctively religious or Christian. And I got to thinking about, well, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have a resolute mind to live Christianly, to live for Christ. So I just challenge you this morning to think through your plan, not just to read through your Bibles, but to live Christianly. Let me read the text for us. Philippians chapter 2, Beginning at verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm proud... Excuse me, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Uh, the last uh, message here, let me go back and read it. Verses uh, came from verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. So in other words, you've obeyed the gospel, now work out the gospel. That's what he wants us to do. And he says, I want you to work it out, 
with fear and trembling, verse 13, it's because it's God that's working in you, both to will and to work for his own good pleasure. So, so how do we do it? And then verse 14, you do all things without grumbling and disputing. The working out of salvation, the working out of the gospel for us is to do life without grumbling and disputing. Now, I want to tell you how that, that plays out and distinguishes us because where it's taken us is down to verse 15, so that you may shine as lights in the world. I want you to be distinctly Christian. You are to shine like lights compared to the dark and perverse and crooked and distorted world. So do we work out our salvation in such a way? Can we do that this year? Well, if we're going to work out our salvation in such a way as to be distinctly Christian, we need a strategy. And the strategy is, starting in verse 14, God gives us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I want to keep the context. I want to take you all the way through 14 through 18. But if, if you're really struggling with conquering complaints, and I think, I suspect a number are. I'm going to devote the entire message next week to conquering complaints, okay? So don't, don't miss out next week. We're just going to conquer complaints. Uh, if you know anybody in your family that needs to conquer complaints, they're always complaining. If you know a neighbor that's always complaining, you have somebody at work that's always complaining, bring them next week, okay? Tell them, preacher says we're going to conquer complaints next week. We're just going to knock them out of heart. This week, I just want to kind of introduce it to you. It says, verse 14, Do all things, not some things, everything, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, innocent, and without blemish. Quite a description of children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. Um, do also all things so that we look like children of God. Children of God are people who do not grumble and complain about anything. Not my idea, that's in the text. That we live our salvation out by not grumbling and complaining. Um, Andrew presented a great example of that in the prodigal son story in Luke 15. That the older brother grumbled and complained. The younger brother was the one getting saved and grateful for God's grace, his dad's grace and favor to him. Let me give you the most famous passage. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Here is a, a story of people needing work. You know, they're standing at the, uh, uh, the office where you can, I forget what they call it down here, you can pick up day labor, people to, to go and work. Well, <clears throat> here's, here's a group of... Uh, Vineyard owners that need, uh, or an owner of the vineyard who needs people to go uh, pick the grapes and uh, work in the vineyard. So he makes a deal. Verse Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So I, I, let's just bring it up into our day and time as far as the monetary value. Let's suppose 
you need people to pick the grapes. And so you, you go out and you find a group of people that said, will you pick grapes today? Oh, yeah, I'll pick grapes. How does this $10 an hour sound? And they said, okay. So if we work 12 hours, it's a good day's work, you're going to give us $120. And he says, yep, that's the deal. All right, so those people jump on the bandwagon. They go to the vineyard. They start picking grapes. You go into the vineyard, um, and uh, he says, then, then he finds some more, verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give it to you. So he doesn't have any other agreement is other than, I'm going to pay you. They didn't pick an amount. You just go pick grapes, I'll treat you well. They say, great, we'll do it. Then he goes on, finds some more, sixth hour, ninth hour, Verse 8, then about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said the same thing to them. Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, no one would hire us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the laborers in, let's pay them their wages, beginning with the last up into the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So what do we got here? Didn't matter when you went to work, pay, how, how much do we pay these people? They only work one hour. Pay them $120. That's generous. Yeah, it is. That's what I want you to pay them. How about these people? They will only work three hours. Pay them $120. How about these people? They only work six hours. Pay them $120. Then you get down to verse 13. Uh, well, keep verse 11. Here's the grumbling passage. And on receiving it, so you get to the People who work 12 hours on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose? with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, the first will be last. So the master is saying, all I'm doing is being generous. And you got a problem with that? And we do. Grumbling and disputing is the result of us thinking life is not fair. God's not treating us fairly. He's, he's giving to other people something he's not giving to us, and that's not fair. He's giving to others more than he's given to us, and that's not fair. And so we grumble and we complain. And God says, and why should you be grumbling and complaining? All I'm doing is being generous. I own everything. I can give it away to whomever I want to give. If I want to give to this guy who only worked one hour, 120 bucks, I can do it. Yeah, but I worked 12 hours for 120 bucks. God says, so we had an agreement that that's what you would do. And I fulfilled it to the latter. So why do we grumble and complain? God said, I want you to do everything without grumbling. The only way we're going to get there. I'll give you a little secret. Here it is. A little principle. Do everything or just wake up and choose to 
expect in this day nothing more than what you deserve. If you will go through every day expecting no more than what you deserve, you'll see joy bursting all around you. Because guess what? You don't get what you deserve. What do you deserve? You deserve hell. You deserve damnation. All of us sin, fall short of the glory of God. We deserve to go to hell. But in Christ Jesus, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we don't go to hell. We don't get hell. Wow, that's good news. That's the gospel, right? So we should be rejoicing, not grumbling. But, 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 but. No, if you expected hell and you got heaven, do you not rejoice? You should. Live each day expecting no more than you deserve. See, as Christians, we're the only ones who can do that. The non-Christian, that's why we shine as lights. The non-Christian, if they expect what they deserve, what do they get? They get hell. Because that's what they deserve. The only way you don't get hell is you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then there's no condemnation. There's no hell for those in Christ. And we rejoice. And we live a life distinctly different from the non-Christian. We don't grumble about life because we're always getting so much more than we deserved. We're those 11th hour people getting 120 for working one hour. There's no grumbling there. That's how you conquer. It's one of the easy spots, but we're going to get into it deeper next week. That you begin to see God is sovereign and He's graciously given giving his children so much more. So our strategy is to, to wake up and say, I'm going to live this day expecting nothing more than what God generously gives. Because his generosity is overwhelming. It's so much more than I ever asked and dreamed and believed. Now, he wants us to be blameless, innocent, and without blemish. We, we overcome uh, by being non-grumblers. That makes us blameless, innocent, without blemish, children of God shining. Is that even possible? Well, look at the example of Daniel. Daniel's just the pinnacle of examples here. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdoms 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So he's one of the top three dogs in the country. Okay? And These satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel, he became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And they start grumbling. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to his kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful 
and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we can't find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel was a man who lived without blemish. He lived innocent. He lived faithfully, it says. And as by living faithful, he was distinguished. Even among the other two highest officials. And when he started getting distinguished and it was being talked about, we're going to put Daniel in charge of the top three officials. The other two officials, uh, that's giving him more. And they grumble. But God says, I want to give my children more. That's what I do. And the world grumbles. But I want my children to be distinguished as innocent of grumbling and complaining. I want them to be those who don't grumble and those who don't complain. See, we could get there. And that's how God wants us to work out the gospel that he's given us, this faith that he's put within us. He wants us to work it out by not grumbling and complaining, and then we shine like lights in a very dark place. Uh, are you shining like a light in the world around you? So, well, I do it part-time. I do it sometimes. Can, can you be a part-time Christian? Please say no. No. Because whatever time you're not a Christian, that's when I show up. And say, what? I thought you were a Christian. In other words, if, if your brother or sister Christ shows up and you're grumbling and complaining, they're saying, hey, what's going on here? I thought you were a Christian. Are you only a Christian part-time? And the other time you get to grumble and dispute things? He says, I want you to do everything without grumbling and disputing. I want you to shine like you're innocent of that. You're blameless of that. You're without blemish. You're, you don't have a time in your life where you grumble and complain since Christ. Christ changes you and makes you distinctly different from the people around you. It's an easy test. Well, how, how am I different? You don't grumble and complain. You don't dispute the grace and mercy of God to us. We always get more than we deserve, and so we are not grumblers. We're shining. It says we shine in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We shine as lights. This light is in the world, holding fast the word of life. So, People say, you're not grumbling. You're not complaining. Why? Why? Because I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to the standard that I have been radically changed by Christ. And His Word's my authority. And He wants me to work out my salvation by seeing His grace. That's all He is asking me to do is see His grace. See His generosity and appreciate that. 
and worship him for that. And worshiping his generosity means I don't grumble and complain. They're incompatible. So that's why you see me as different. I'm holding fast this word. When non-Christians see Christians, they see Bible. If we're living a consistent Christian life, again, it shows you the importance of knowing your Bible and living your Bible. You're holding forth the authority and standard of God to the world. The world sees a light, and the light is Christ, and the Christ standard is what is leading us to shine for Him. That's what He wants us to be shining as lights in this world. All right, give you an example of it. Go back a couple pages, Ephesians chapter 5. And let's start uh, with verse 5. For, for, for you may be sure of this. Notice the certainty here. There's, this is not a gray area, okay? You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous don't let me forget that. Let's come back to covetous. I don't want to just talk about sexual sins. I want us to deal with the covetousness part of this as well. Because this is certain. So you can be sure of this. That is, these people, those who commit sexual immorality and impurity, and those who are covetous, that is idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Not going to heaven. He says you can be sure of it. You can be certain. Pretty strong, right? Notice how it goes on. Um, let no one deceive you with empty words. I mean, people will have other words, but that's a deception. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why, why do non-Christians get God's wrath? He just told us. One thing you can be certain of. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. That's why they get the wrath of God. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. In other words, they're not following God's standard. It keeps on going. Um, Therefore, do, verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. See where I'm going, Philippians? I want you to shine as lights in a dark world. Here's the example. Some of the... Darkness is sexual immorality. It's perversion. It's covetousness. That's dark stuff that's contrary to the standard of God. And that's why the wrath of God comes. He says, but I don't want you to be in the darkness. I want you to be in the light. Walk as children of light. Verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Christ shines on us, and then as believers, shines through us, and we're distinctively different than the world. 
Does God care who you sleep with? Please say yes. Yes. Absolutely. He just said so. He just said so. He says, do not commit sexual immorality. I care. And because of that, wrath of God comes. I care who you sleep with. The world says, but she wants to. He can. It might be fun. But God says, but I care that that not happen. Because that leads you to dark places. It leads you to the wrath of God. It's contrary to my standard. The standard is real simple. God created one man, one woman, joined them together in marriage. Now look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage between one man, one woman, be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God cares who you sleep with. He says the marriage bed is a bed of honor. But when you go outside, that's a perversion. That's immoral. That's contrary to my design. My people hold forth this word. And it's life. And it's light. And it's not darkness. We're living in a world who says, I can. I want to. It will be fun. It will be pleasurable. And it's a world where, and, and by, by the way, friends, if, if you're a believer and you have gone into that world and are acting like that world, what have you done? You've turned off the light. You have turned off the light. And it's not clear that you are distinctly Christian. You're not. You're living in darkness. And God wants us to shine like light in this dark and perverse world. We are not those who say, I can go outside of a heterosexual relationship and be honored. God says, no. You're not one that can go outside of marriage and be honored. God says, no. You're supposed to shine like lights in this dark world. You don't do that. And you're supposed to be innocent and blameless without blemish in this matter. It's, it's because it's certain. It's not a gray area. He says, you can be sure of it. You don't have to read much of Scripture to know that. Um, God gives us clarity on what it is to shine as lights, to reflect Him. And guess what? When we shine as lights, when we hold fast the Word of God, how do people get saved? They come to the light. We're born again by the Word of God. People see the light of Christ in us. They see the Word of God through us. So there's fruit. And the kingdom of God grows. And God is pleased. But it doesn't happen without God using his people to minister to people. Sharing the word of Christ. Um, now, back to Philippians 2. So we do that. We shine his lights. 
in this world, hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, notice this, I may be proud. When's the last time you heard the Apostle Paul say, man, I'm proud. I want to be proud of you. He said, I want you to do this because I want to be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do you want to get to heaven and be proud that what you did on earth mattered? Paul says, I do. I want to, I want to be proud that I didn't waste my time. I've spent a lot of time with you folks, and I don't want to waste my time. I want to see you shine like lights in this dark world. He goes on, verse 17, even if I am to be poured out, even if it kills me, basically, if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, so if I give my life to give you faith, which, of course, only Christ can give, if I work for that end, shining to you, and then you shine to others, then I am, the last verse 18, I am glad and rejoice with you all, and likewise you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So there's a satisfaction at the end of all this. He says, we're, we're going to run the race, shining as lights, and I'm going to be proud of you because you're doing it, and you're going to be proud of me because of what I've done to encourage you in it, and we're all going to rejoice. When? He said it uh, down there, verse 18, or verse 16. So that in the day of Christ. So that's probably talking about the final coming of Christ. When Christ comes, we show up or we go, He shows up or we go to Him. In that day, we're going to be happy that our labors were not in vain. Do, do you realize that you affect my heaven? You are affecting my heaven right now. Make me proud, okay? That's what Paul said. Make me proud. The way you shine for Christ lets me know my labors aren't in vain. That God was using me. And God is using you to affect other people's lives too. You have an effect on them. Shine as a light. Be proud of living for Christ and shining for Christ so that your labors are not in vain. Uh, if you don't have memorized, you, uh, I'll take you to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul, as he finishes talking about the glories of the resurrection and realizing we're going to be resurrected and with God in heaven, he says, therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I don't want to waste my life. Don't waste your life. There's a final consummation with Christ we come to in heaven. And he says, I, I, I want to lovingly affect others for Christ." Now, how much time I got? Okay. So, some of you squirm a little bit. I know you do. It's that reformed blood in you. Makes you, you squirm when people talk about being glad and rejoicing and being proud. Is it, 
when you're talking about being glad and rejoicing, and being proud of your labors, that's what makes you squirm. Because I thought we were supposed to be glad and proud and rejoicing in Christ. And here's Paul talking about his own labors. So I want to make sure my labors matter. And my labors are in vain. Don't get confused, friends. Don't, don't, and don't divorce faithfulness from fruitfulness. Paul is talking, I want to be fruitful. And the fruitfulness comes out of being faithful. And the faithfulness goes back step because God gave me faith. It starts with God. There's no way Paul is divorcing himself from Christ being the love of his life, from Christ being the object of his faith. No way he's doing that. He's not. He's just saying that because I love Christ so and rejoice in him so, I live for him faithfully. And living for him faithfully produces fruit. And the fruit is my light shines and it affects other people. And then they see the word and are born again and start to shine. And I come along and I preach and I teach and I encourage and strengthen them. And I'm so proud it works out that way. Because that's what God is doing. God is making life valuable and worth it. And it's not about my pleasure, really at all. It's about what God has done, and to Him be the glory. That's where Paul is. Now, going back to the original CBS poll, what if we could have a resolution? What would it be? Have you ever had a resolution, commitment, determination, even made a promise or a prayer to God? God, this year, like no other, I'm going to shine like a light for Jesus. Could we have a distinctly different lifestyle? And God says to you, well, okay, uh, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're going to shine for me. Now, how are you going to do that? Put some feet on that for me. And you say, well, it's right there in the text. I'm going to do all things without grumbling and disputing. Wow. That's a big commitment. How are you going to do that? You've got to conquer complaints. Well, I'm going to start by just expecting nothing more than I deserve. I'm going to start by worshiping a God who's generous and letting that penetrate my being to a place I have no complaints. I have no disputes. It's all, it's all good. It's more than fair. I don't dispute that at all. You see, then our life, it's like, wow, you're different. I don't know too many like that. And the world says, what's the difference? It's Jesus. He's the light of the world. And he's asked me to be a light in this world. He's asked me to hold forth his word. And that's what I'm going to do to the praise of his glory and honor. Um, You know, you know you can't take your, uh, your car, your house, your bank account, your clothes. It, you, you can't take anything to heaven. You know that, right? 
There's no hearse behind the, or there's no U-Haul behind the hearse, whatever you want to call it. You don't take stuff. Unless it's people, because people go. And unless you were shining your light and somebody in a dark place saw that light. Let's suppose you got to heaven and one of the activities, Jesus comes out and he says, all right, today we're going to review the life of a fellow who grew up in Anderson, South Carolina. Let's call him Billy. Billy, let's call him Billy Bible. How do you like that? Billy Bible, here's your life. And one by one, people from heaven start coming forward. Some Billy knows, and some Billy doesn't know. And to those that he doesn't know, he says, who are you? And that person says, well, you don't know me, but I saw you down there in Anderson. And I saw how you lived. And I saw when that party was going on, how you were different. You, you were like a light, man, in a dark room. And I wanted to know how you could do that, how you could be so alive and a light. And God used that to change my life. I'm a life that's changed. And one by one, people see a light and they're affected. And you're so glad you didn't waste your life. And you're so proud of those testimonies. Some you knew, some you didn't even know you knew. Because that's the, that's the effect of light. It goes places you don't even know it's going. And it penetrates dark places. I want that kind of priority. I want to live for Jesus. I want it to matter. I want it to be effectual. God says, then shine like lights like stars in this wicked and perverse generation. Hold fast to the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, heaven is real. Hell is real. We don't come here to play. We come here to live and to live fruitfully. Have mercy upon us sinners. We need forgiveness. We need repentance for wasting so many days and years and hours and not truly living for you. May we have a year that's not wasted. May we have a year that's full of the light of Christ in us. May we have speech that's not full of grumbling or disputing. But may the sweetness and the beauty of a humble servant speak to this world. May our gratefulness and our worship of Christ be seen by all. We thank you for your truth. We ask that you would draw people to it for your glory. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.